Amen. Hey, man, hey, grab a seat, and don't worry, more worship to come, okay? But it's, uh, this message, it's fitting that we close the service, uh, maximizing our worship time. So we're going to preach, and then we're going to respond to uh, the Word of God before us in worship. And so get your Bibles out and get to Acts chapter 17. And if you need a Bible, you'll find one under a seat nearby you, and grab that. If you don't own a Bible or you need a new one, please leave with that. It is one of our greatest joys when we're around town and coffee shops to see some of the Bibles that we're sitting under seats now sitting before people. And so uh, grab that. That's our gift to you. Um, We pick up part two, uh, as Pastor DJ said. Uh, One sermon, uh, we started it last week. We're picking it up this week. And so don't worry if you missed last week, because I can catch you up on what you need to know. But if you were here last week, how excited are you to get on to part two? Huh? We walked down into the valley. We walked down into the valley And we ask God to expose our idols. We ask the Lord, where am I worshiping counterfeit gods? Where have I concocted fake, false, bad gods, lowercase g gods? And where have I made those things ultimate and gave them supremacy with my life? Where have I just made things that shouldn't be ultimate, ultimate? And I don't know about you, but oh my goodness, the wrestle on the hearts that were happening this week as the Lord just lovingly, his loving kindness just took the scalpel to our heart and just opened it up and just showed us what was there. But um, we, we move forward today, not with a focus on the nastiness of the idols that are there, but how do those things get crushed How do those things get crushed in the awe of who the one true God really is? All in favor of that, say aye. Um, Paul walks into Athens. And we said last week it would be very similar to us leaving central Indiana, and maybe for the first time ever, uh, just being plopped in the middle of Times Square. I mean, Athens was a city in its day. I, I don't want to say like no other, but I mean, it's, it's one of just the premier cities of its day. Um, the architecture was nearly unrivaled. Uh, the intellectual, philosophical thinking and thought processes, the, the art was world-class of its day. And, and, and Paul shows up in Athens and It's a bit unique to how he shows up in other cities. He's all alone. His traveling companions have been left back in the city where he's coming from, and Paul shows up in Athens, and he's all alone, and he begins to walk through the city, and you would expect what it says is that Paul was amazed by the architecture, that Paul was enamored by the thinking that was going on, and that's not what it says. Verse 16 tells us what Paul's response was. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within within him as he saw that the city was full of what? Uh, Ancient historians, as I said last week, have said it was easier to find a God in Athens than it was to find a man. It was covered, altar, shrine, temple, statues, everywhere you looked, idols, 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 idols. And it says Paul's heart was grieved to the core It was provoked within him. And now here's how we defined what an idol was last week. We said an idol was worshiping anything other than God as God. And now we said it last week and we'll say it again this week. Our tendency in our human heart is to kind of like, I don't do that. I don't do that. Because we know intellectually that we shouldn't do it. And yet if we're not careful to examine our heart, we will be so blind to see that our heart is so quick to turn to idols. It's been attributed that John Calvin has said, the heart is an idol factory. 
A helpful way to think about idols, we said, is this, making a good thing God thing. Making good things a God thing. Where have we made good things a God thing? And so last week in part one, here's what we did, kind of the, the, the hard thing. Part one was all about the see idols for the soul-destroying things that they are and ask God to expose our idols. And I warned us last week that we were just going to end in the heaviness of that and we were just going to let it sit. And people this week were like, you weren't kidding. You really did just end in the heaviness of that, and we did. But we are on to part two this week, because part two is this. How are idols rooted out and destroyed in the awe of the glory of God? That's where we're getting after today as God's people. Amen? And there's something Paul does. Um, He's pulled in front of a a, a judicial group called the Areopagus. Uh, It's the judicial group in Athens that judges on matters of morals and religion. And it's before the Areopagus that Paul does something that is simple but powerful. It's not flashy, yet it's profound. He just stands up in front of the Areopagus and he says, Hey, I've seen in your city there's this altar to this unknown God. Um, Can I make that God that's unknown to you known to you? And then from that point forward, all he does is just say, let me shine the spotlight on who God, the one true God, the creator of heavens and earth really is. And here's what I believe Paul is doing. I believe Paul is trusting on the Holy Spirit that as he just proclaims who the one true God is, idols would melt in the heart of people. They would look on and they would go, yes, that is the one my heart has been crying out to worship. And so that's all we're going to do today. We're just going to trust the Holy Spirit that as the one true God is proclaimed in the way that Paul proclaims them here, that our hearts would leap within us and we would go, that is way more valuable than that fake God that I've been giving value to. And we'll watch as God melts the idols and the awe of the glory of who he is. And so if you, we would, let's pray together and let's ask God's spirit to do a powerful work in our heart to do that. God, we come now. And we pray that very thing. Lord, um, this is a very simple message. There's nothing profound. There's nothing flashy. But I pray that as you are proclaimed, as you're proclaimed in the way that Paul proclaims you, Lord, would your spirit go to work on our heart in such a way that you are elevated. You are elevated. We can see you as the one true God, creator of heaven and earth. And Lord, would that just leave us in awe of who you are and melt all of these idols and fake gods out of our life. God, we pray only your spirit can do this. This has to be a spiritual work you do on our heart. God, would you use your word going forth in the power of your spirit to accomplish the destruction of idols that are there. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pick it up with me in verse 22, and we'll look at what Paul has to say to the Areopagus. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath 
and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver, silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And so if you will, just imagine probably in the royal court of the marketplace, the Areopagus has gathered and they said, hey, you're bringing some strange teaching to Athens. We haven't heard what you're saying We haven't heard anything about what you're teaching here. Tell us more about it. And um, Paul, grieved over the idols that he sees in the city, here's what he does. He stands before the Areopagus, and he merely says, let me tell you who God is. And he does this in kind of three categories that I'm going to call, he, 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 he explains God as creator, he explains God as sustainer, and he explains God as king, as sovereign king. Look at how he starts this uh, after he has said, I want to make known to you this God, verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord, what is he Lord of? What's it say? He's Lord of heaven and He's Lord of heaven and he's Lord of earth. This God, he stands there and he goes, this unknown God that your heart is crying out to worship. He made everything. Look around. This unknown God you're talking about. He he is God of all creation. He is God of the galaxies. And there's something that I believe Paul understands that we desperately have to understand if idols will ever be crushed and rooted out of our lives. We have to understand, first and foremost, that God is creator God. He made it all. There there has to be something that happens in our heart as we realize that, that, that this God in heaven created everything that we see. There has to be something that happens in our heart when we sit under a sunrise. Anyone see that sun come up this morning over the horizon? Something must leap in our heart when we see that. And we see the sun going up. Something must leap in our heart when we look into the dark night sky and it's lit up by the light of a full moon. Something must happen in our heart as we lay there in the grass under the stars that blanket the sky above us. Something must happen in our heart when we stand on the edge of the ocean and we just look out and we cannot see the end of it. Something must happen in our heart as we stand on a high point and we look down in a valley that a river has cut through. Something must happen in our heart as we stand on the edge of a waterfall and we see and we hear hundreds of thousands of gallons of water pouring over the edge, something must happen in our heart as we stand on a mountaintop and we stand up there and we look around. We have to understand something. In those moments, we have to love how absolutely small we feel. This world is not about us. We, we were not created to sit at the center of it and just collect idols to ourselves that will make much of us. When we sit under a sunrise, we should go, God of wonders beyond the galaxies, you are holy. 
And I just encourage us this week to be in awe of creator God. Go get outside and sit under creation. You're like, I'm not, a, I'm not kind of, I'm really not an outside person. <laughs> I don't like bugs. <laughs> then like, stay in your car and drive it as far deep into the middle of woods Go drive it up to the edge of Lake Michigan. Get up early enough tomorrow to watch the sun come over the horizon. Go on the patio tonight in the crisp, cool air and just watch the stars begin to appear. And go, my God made this. And he made all of it. And there's nothing I can look at right now. Just look at the intricacy of one tree. And it will just blow your mind. And then, and then not only those created geographical features, watch the way animals work. Watch a bird build a nest. Watch the little babies sitting in that nest. Listen to them. Turn on National Geographic. And watch a cheetah cover ground across an African plain. Go down to the zoo and listen to a lion roar. Watch a bird swoop from the sky, torpedo down, and pick up an animal of prey. Watch ants walk in line carrying things like four times the size of them. And go, my God created all of this. Look around at his creation of other human beings. Watch the way we use our intellect. Created in his image. Watch an artist work the miracle of art. Watch a world-class athlete do what they do. Watch a builder construct something that we just stand on the ground and go, how did they do that? Watch God form young minds of little children and then just stand back in awe and go, my God made all of this. Everything I see was made by him. He is creator God and he alone. And in the city of Athens, in which there's a God for everything. So this God created that thing and this God created that thing and this God created that thing and that God's responsible for that thing. Paul is going, no There aren't a pantheon of gods responsible for their own little dominion of things. There is one God, and he is creator of heaven and earth, and he is Lord over all of it. He begins by just saying, God is creator God. The God who made the world, back to 24, and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man. And now look at what it says in verse 25. This gets at God as sustainer God. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, think about who Paul is talking to. And he goes, Hey, hey, I want you to know something. God, this God made everything, he is creator God, but he's also sustainer God. Um, here's the truth, folks. We do not sustain our gods. Our God sustains us. 
I think Paul is very politely here calling something out in the, in the culture of Athens. Um, hey, uh, let me ask you something. Your, your God, that statue over there, that God, what happens as it begins to crumble? Like, what do you do when its nose falls off? Well, we, we, we repair it. We repair it. Yeah, can I point some? You're sustaining your God. Like, you, you get the mortar out or whatever you use. I'm not a builder. And you, you, you begin to patch it back together. What happens when the temple, when Athena is temple? Well, we, we, we replace. Well, isn't Athena strong enough to keep her temple up? J.I. Packer said it best, and I said it last week. We don't hold our gods in our hand. Our God holds us in his hand. He is our creator who he's sustaining us. Back to 25. He's not served by human hands. Do you know that our God is so powerful he needs nothing from us? He needs nothing from us. He is self-sustainable. We don't keep God going. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Why? Because it's he himself who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. All of this that we just unpacked about creation. Think of Mount Everest. Think of the Grand Canyon. Think of the Mississippi River. Think of all of the great geographical features. Think of all the animals that cover this globe. Think of all the human beings on it. And now picture this. It is like a speck of dust in the hand of our almighty God. And he's sustaining all of it. God is creator. God is sustainer. And now look at this. On to God as sovereign king. And he made, verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He's the God of every nation. Having determined, now look at this, look at his sovereignty. He's determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You're going to live at this time and you're going to live right there. Well, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, I'm sovereign king. He's determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek God. And now look at what Paul says. And perhaps feel their way toward him. This idea of kind of a, a blind man uh, kind of looking and feeling in, uh, that, they, that they see this creation and they go, something sustaining all of this and, and something is sovereign over this and this is enough to get me to feel towards this creator God. And then Paul's going to get more specific how they not only feel their way towards this God, but how they can see their way towards this God. He's going to get there in a moment. And then it says this. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now think of what Paul has just done here. He's talked about God as creator. He's talked about that this God is sustaining everything. He doesn't need anything from us. He said that this God has appointed the era that we'll live in and the boundaries of the place we will live. And then he said this, and guess what? He is near to you. He is sovereign king, but he is near He is creator of all, but he is near. He is majestic in power, and he is near to the lowly and the brokenhearted. That's our king. 
transcendent yet imminent, massive yet near. And Paul is just laying out before these people, this is the one true God. And I lead into our first point, which is actually our third point of the sermon. God, very simply, God is the only one worthy of our worship. God is the only one worthy of our worship. And when we lose sight of this, when we begin to give worship to anything other than this supreme creator, sustainer, sovereign king, God, we just, we're confronted with the, fool, the foolishness of it, the folly of it. Look at what he says in verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's like, how foolish of us to watch the sunrise in the morning and then be like, let's make a God for that. And like, what, you know, let's put this gold here. And, and yet we do the same things. We fabricate and concoct these gods and we say, yes, you get my allegiance and you are supreme. And Paul is just calling out the foolishness of that. And we're reminded, we're called back today to the fact that God and God alone is the only one worthy of our worship. And listen, our hearts will remain forever thirsty inside of us until we realize that fact. We'll just keep, uh, just keep feeling about from fake God to fake God. And it'll, 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 it's like lighting a match. It'll burn hot for a little bit and we'll be like, look, we found it. This is what my soul was looking for. And then it'll just burn out. And we'll be like, oh, that, that did it for a time and a season. And now where's the next God? Our hearts will remain forever thirsty until we see God for who he is, creator, sustainer, sovereign king. And we just go, God, you have all of my allegiance and you alone. Nothing will rival my heart for you. And we go to war on the idols of our heart in the awe of the glory of God. So, if your team loses today, go watch the sunset. I mean it. If you're, I heard David Platt. David Platt a, was a pastor down south, wrote the book Radical. and I heard him say, I was listening to one of his sermons once, and he said, he was talking to the people in Alabama there. He said, if, if your precious roll tide lost yesterday and it's affecting your mood as you walk into worship Jesus this morning, you have an idol. And I just went, because my Spartans got. <laughs> I'll confess, I can't watch him. I can't watch him anymore. No, I mean it. It affects my mood. And my wife doesn't get it. <laughs> Can someone tell her? And then it hit me. How some 19-year-old kid plays quarterback is affecting my mood as a grown man. No, think about it, guys. Think about it. 
If our team loses today and it affects our mood, say, God, thank you for the reminder that this has too high of a place. Let me go there. If your fantasy players don't do well today, men, you're like, oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) If the market crashes tomorrow, another 2008, Man, that we would be able to say, yeah, I lost a ton of money, but guess what? I didn't lose my God. If he dumps you tonight, hey, I still got my God. If heaven forbid you're called into the boss's office tomorrow, And all you hear is the beginning, there's a reduction going on, and everything after that just sounds like. And you walk out without a job, you will will have walked out with your God still intact. Because he is God alone, and he's the only one worthy of our worship. And Paul just very simply lays this before him. And now, now Paul moves forward. And like any good sermon, Paul now is going to get to the application. Okay, in light of everything we talked about last week, in light of this third point, this first point today, third point in the sermon, um, what now do we do if God is beginning to con- convict us and confront us on these things? Pick it up with me again in verse 29. He says, being then God's offspring... We ought not to think that the the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Now look at the urgency here. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why, Paul? Well, here's why. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Last point of this one sermon over two weeks is this. If we have been worshiping idols, day is the day to repent. We repent and we worship God. And my hope is between last week and this week, there's been much repenting that is happening. There's much confession of bringing idols out from the dark corner of our heart and putting them out on the table so the light can shine on it and that we will say, I repent of this. Now, here's something very important that we have to understand about idols. Idols cannot just be, like if our heart was a glass, idols cannot just be emptied out and then we sit an empty glass on the table. If we have an empty heart, John Piper says it like this, the human heart hates a vacuum. We never merely leave God because we value him little. We always exchange God for what we value more. To use that quote to say this, whatever we have been valuing as supreme that should not be being valued as supreme, we empty out and we replace it with the awe of the glory of God. Because our heart's a vacuum. If we don't replace it with the awe of the glory of God, we'll just fill it with some other idol. 
And it'll just be this perpetual cycle. So we repent, we turn away, we empty out idols, we say, God, crush those idols, and then we get up in the morning and we fill our mind and our heart with the word of God. And we worship our way to work, and we just stay in awe of the glory of who he is, not just on Sundays, but between Sundays. Because our heart, if it's a vacuum, it'll just get filled with idol and idol and idol and idol and idol and idol. We fill it with the awe of the glory of God, but we repent of these things. And now, look at this. He gets to the specifics. How do we go about ultimately repenting of these things? He reminds them that there's a day of judgment coming. Why is it urgent to replace bad worship of fake gods with the, one, with the right worship of the one true God because a day of judgment is coming? Like every one of us in this room, we're going to stand before God. It's not myth. It's not legend. We are actually going to stand before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one day. And Paul tells them of this in such a way that he says, there's, there's no longer, you don't claim ignorance over this. We're accountable for this. Athenians, you're accountable for this. You're going to stand before your maker one day. And he tells them that this, he's fixed a day, he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let me tell you who he's talking about. He's talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was crucified on a cross, who was laid in a tomb, and then three days later rose from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death. Now here's the deal. You must know him. You must know this Lord. When the day of judgment comes and we stand there before our Lord and Savior, we must know him. We must have relationship with him, not just a head knowledge of, yeah, I believed in my head that you did these things. We, he must have our heart. And I, and I say to us in here, if you've, if you've walked in over these last two weeks and you are not a Christian, you like wouldn't even pretend to be a Christian. You don't even know why you're in church today. You are in church today to hear that you must know, that you must know that you know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is your own personal Savior. And I'd say it to us decades-long churchgoers who know, like if you put the Bible test in front of you, you would intellectually be able to just get 100% on all of the Bible survey, but has it gripped your heart? Do you merely have a head knowledge, or is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of your heart? And if he's not, today is the day we repent and surrender. I tell you often, 19 years of my life, all head knowledge. God had to take me to a new state and a new place and strip me of all of my identity and to show me, yes, but am I Lord? And it wasn't until then that he became Lord. I say to us today, how do we repent of idols? We can only truly repent of idols when we cast them out, when we turn away from them, when we repent, and then when we say today, you tell them today, you tell them with your mouth, Lord Jesus Christ, come sit on the throne of my heart. I'm done worshiping bad things. I'm done worshiping fake gods. I'm done worshiping myself. I want to worship you. You tell them that today. And guess what? God is faithful to come save and sit on the throne of your heart. These two weeks, folks, have been all about this. 
us turning from our idols to worship the one true God, and then God using us to encourage others around us to turn from their idols and to worship the one true God as well, like Paul has done here. But we'll only do this when we just sit in the awe of the glory, when we gaze on God for who he is, when we're infatuated and enamored by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where he's not just some uh, historical figure in our head, but he is the near and loving Savior of our heart. And when we're sitting in the awe of that, there is not room for any idol to weasel its way in because we're people in awe of the glory of God. And so to kind of kickstart us this week, in this awe thing, I just want to close the message here today by just reading the word of God over us, being reminded who God is, Sitting in awe, like a lot of these verses are going to be familiar to you if, you've, if you're familiar with the Bible. And, and we'll, you will be going, yeah, that's, that's good. No, think about what it says. Let your heart worship as the word of God washes over your heart here today. Let your heart be reminded why The one true God is so much better, greater, more awesome, majestic, more powerful than any of the idols that our heart can create. He is God and he alone. We're going to let the word of God remind us of that. And then we're going to kind of explode out of this time with the word washing over us to worship him for the God he is. The very first verse of our Bible very shortly, very directly, very clearly says this. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. And what did he? He created the heavens and he created the earth. He is Lord of all creation. Book of Nehemiah, we find this. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, you've made the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Amen? Psalm 90. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. Come on, church, the Lord reigns. And he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He's put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Listen to me if you're in the church this morning and your world is rocking. It feels like it's turbulent. Understand something. Your God is not rocking. Your God is not upset by the turbulence of life. He doesn't move. He's a firm foundation. He's the rock of our salvation. 
on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows up, uh, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circles of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? What, what that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Church, lift up your eyes on high and see. He who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my, my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is our God. Church, church stand to your feet and let's let the word of God call us to worship right now. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. 
Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and all God's people worship him now.